We have a very important topic. Can you guess what's the topic today? What is tomorrow? Tomorrow is Monday. And what else is tomorrow? <clears throat> Louder. Election. It's going to be election day. Now, I want to share with you the reality about life. What do I mean the reality about life? What do you do when your expectations are not met? Honestly, what do you do when what you are hoping for does not happen? What do you really do when what you like does not happen? For example, by, the, by tomorrow, by next week, I'm almost 100% sure some of you will be very happy while others will be very sad. Yes or no? Guaranteed. So my question is this. What do we do? I want to share with you something very important. Because this applies, listen to me now, to your life. Not just election, your marriage. Some of you entered marriage with this idea. Nothing wrong. I will really be happy. That's why you married the person. Because you believe you'll be happy. Then after a few years, what do you notice? I'm not judging your marriage, but there will be many people who feel like I made a mistake. What about your business? What about your children? You have certain hopes, certain dreams, but they don't turn out the way you're hoping they will turn out. So what do you do as a Christian? Would you like to learn how to navigate through life, especially when you are disappointed, especially when you don't get what you want. I remember when my children were growing up, we have this saying, disappointment is good for the soul. Because you learn to become flexible. You learn to adjust. So the topic today is very simple. I want you to practice a God-centered perspective. Everybody say that with me. Practice a God-centered perspective. What do we mean by God-centered perspective? The word perspective has the idea of how you see things. You can see exactly the same thing and arrive at different conclusion. Years ago, I remember distinctly when Apollo the 8th, the first man space to orbit around the moon, what did the astronauts say? Amazingly, these broadcasts all over the world. You know what they said? They read from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, they talk about God when they saw the vastness of the universe, when they saw the beautiful planet called Earth. The same occasion. The Russian astronaut, when they got to space, they saw exactly the same thing. The Russian astronaut said, there's no God. I don't see God. What do you notice? They saw exactly the same thing. But one, the American astronauts talk about the greatness 
and the grandeur of God. They saw God in creation. You have another group? There's no God. My question to you is this. What kind of perspective do you have in life? Do you see God at work in your life, or do you not see God? You know, there's this Chinese story about perspective. This family owned horses. One day, he lost one of his nicest white horse. And the neighbor came. The neighbor said, I feel so sad for you. You are so unfortunate. You lost your favorite horse. You know what the Chinese said? Again, he said, it depends on heaven. Whether it is fortunate or unfortunate, they did not use the term God. It depends on heaven. Well, after a while, the white horse came back with many other horses. Wow, the neighbor said, wow, what, an, an, what a fortunate event. Your horse came back with many horses. The Chinese said, it really depends. Whether it is fortunate or unfortunate, depends on heaven. Well, the son decided to train the wild horses that came. While the son was training the wild horses, he fell and broke his leg. So the neighbor came again. The neighbor said, oh, what an unfortunate incident. Your son broke his leg. The father said, whether it is unfortunate or fortunate, heaven will tell. After a few months, there was a civil war, and everybody was required to send their young men to war. And after the civil war, many of the young men did not come back. The neighbor said, how fortunate you are. Your son did not have to join the army because he broke his leg. What did the son, what did the father say? Fortunate and, or unfortunate depends on heaven. Time will tell. My friend, in your life, sometimes you don't like what's happening. Before you jump to a bad conclusion, I want you to practice. What's the topic today? Everybody read, practice. A God-centered perspective. In life, you can have different perspective. For some people, it is self-centered. It's man-centered. You interpret everything from your own perspective. A mature Christian is different. He sees things, but he will interpret it based on God's perspective. There are two kinds of people in this room. One, you will judge God based on your circumstances. You arrive at conclusion about the goodness of God or the badness of God based on your circumstances. Another group of people, they're different. They judge circumstances based on who God is because they believe that God is good. They believe that God is sovereign. They are able to learn to wait and expect what God is going to do. So the topic today is what? What must you do? Practice, everybody. Practice. I like the word practice because we need to practice. By nature, we are man-centered. By nature, we are self-centered. We want what we want. But God is saying, no, 
practice, you learn to be God-centered. Practice a God-centered perspective. You know, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, I was asked to memorize this when I was a young believer. The Bible says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Let's repeat. We walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith means your perspective is godly. You may not understand why. You may not see the reason. But you are walking based on the trustworthiness, the goodness of God and His Word. That's faith. So you have a choice in life. You can walk by sight, by your feeling, or you can walk by faith. But I've seen the result of these two kinds of lives. As the psalmist said, I've been young and now I'm old. I will apply that to my life. I've been young and now I'm still young. And I've seen lives, I've seen people who walk by faith. The result is amazing joy, amazing peace. And I've seen others who don't have a God-centered perspective. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, those kind of lifestyle will lead to depression, unhappiness. Why? Because God's way is the best way. So life is a choice. You can choose to follow God or not follow God. My job is to teach you what the Bible is saying. So what's the message today? Practice a God-centered perspective even in this election. So I'm going to teach you how to process. Number one, very simple. A God-centered perspective <clears throat> means you must realize God is sovereign. Say that with me. God is sovereign. What does that mean, God is sovereign? Let me share with you from the Bible. It's, it has to do with politics. It has to do with history. But you must understand Practice a God-centered life means you must believe that God is sovereign. What does it mean God is sovereign? Well, for many of you, you will say God is in control. Am I correct? The truth is, it's not easy. Martin Luther once wrote a letter to his friend, Erasmus. Martin Luther said, your thoughts of God are too human. You know, Martin Luther learned this lesson, that many Christians, our idea of God is too human. We make God to be like us. What do I mean? One day, during breakfast, the wife of Martin Luther wore black. You only wear black when you attend a funeral service. So Martin Luther asked his wife, why are you wearing black? You know what the wife said? Somebody died. Who died? Your God. Martin Luther said, what do you mean my God died? The wife said, you act and behave as though God is dead. You know, Martin Luther was rebuked because he knew what the wife was saying. Many of us behave as though God is dead. That's why you're always nervous. You're always anxious. You like to be in control. Can I tell you something? Repeat after me. 
God is God and you are not God. So look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, God is God and you are not God. So, I want to share with you what does it mean to believe, okay, to recognize God is in control. Now, many of us say this, but we don't believe it. Let me repeat. Many Christians can mouth what I'm saying, but they don't live as though God is really in control. Look at Daniel chapter 1. How the Bible was written. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and visited. I'm going to give you two examples from the Bible. What does it mean to say God is in control? Notice, in the story, humanly speaking, it was King Nebuchadnezzar attacking Jerusalem, attacking Judah. Yes or no? King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most famous, notorious emperor of Babylon. But you know, look at the next verse. Jeru the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. Do you know what the Bible is saying? It was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacking Jerusalem. But the way he interpreted events, God's hand was involved. The Lord you see the word? The Lord gave the king of Judah, Jerusalem. Do you realize a God-centered perspective means no matter what is happening, it has God's approval. Without God's approval, Jerusalem will never fall. If you look at history, you see how God protected Jerusalem time after time. But when it is time for God to accomplish His purpose, that's what the Bible is saying. Jerusalem fell. And King Nebuchadnezzar conquered not only Jerusalem, he deported the people. One of them was Daniel. Daniel could have been depressed. You know why he could be depressed? The place of worship, Jerusalem, was totally destroyed. Just imagine. The temple in Jerusalem destroyed. The city destroyed. But you know, Daniel was different. His perspective was different. He's able to navigate through life. Look at what he said in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. It is God who changes the times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. Do you believe ultimately it is God who decides who will be king, who will not be king? Yes or no? Louder. But you see, many Christians don't really believe in that. So, Daniel chapter 4 repeats the same principle. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven. Among the inhabitants of earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? In short, the sovereignty of God simply means this. God does not need your permission to do what he wants to do. Let me repeat. God does not need your approval or my approval. God is God. 
Because he's God, he has every right to do what he wants to do with your life, in your life. Why? Because God is the creator. He's sovereign. Therefore, today many people are judging God. Why will God do this? Why will God allow this? I have a suggestion. Let me repeat. My suggestion is this. You, God is God, and you are not God. So someday you got a problem with that. Someday when you see God, I tell my friend, you take it up with him. Discuss with God your problems. For me, I submit to the sovereignty of God. You know, the Bible is so clear. I hope you take this reality in your life. In Psalm 135, it says, everybody read? Everybody read. I know, notice, I know from experience, from reality, that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods, above all dictators, above all bad presidents, above all. Everybody please read. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all deeps. And this truth, people don't like. People who do not know Jesus rebel against this concept of the sovereignty of God. You mean to tell me I have no will of my own? That is the mystery. In the sovereignty of God, he makes you responsible for your choices. God's sovereignty does not remove human responsibility or human will. But God is God. He knows what he's doing. Therefore, many of you are familiar with Jeremiah, the one we just read. Look at how this prophet, Jeremiah, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, they live around the same time. But look at their theological perspective, God-centered perspective. Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. God is owning responsibility. God is saying, these guys who were deported, exported to Babylon, God is saying, I'm involved. Whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Just imagine, like what's happening to Ukraine, how a lot of Ukrainians are being displaced. It's horrible. But notice what God wants them to do. God is telling the Jewish people, in the midst of crisis, don't despair. Don't live a depressed life. God's sovereignty means you've got to do your part. You've got to help improve wherever you are. So what is our part? Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. And eat. The next verse talks about feel free to marry. Have children. And then the next verse tells us, everybody read together now, what's our job in the Philippines today? Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. I love this idea. Even we are citizens of the Philippines, we are really transient. This is not our permanent home. We are just passing through. Agree? Seek the welfare of the Philippines. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
So what's our job this coming election? Do your part. You seek what's best for the Philippines. So what must we do? Pray. Pray on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. So what's your role? May I suggest you need to continue reading the next verse. The next verse is very clear. I know the plans I have for you. You see, this amazing verse, which we all memorize, we don't know the context. The context has to do with disaster. They were defeated. They were in exile. And God is saying, don't worry. I am in control and have good plans. So everybody read. I know the plans I have for you. See, God knows the plan. You may not know, but God knows. Declares the Lord. Plans, everybody read. Plans for what? Welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Ladies and gentlemen, does God have a wonderful plan for your life? Louder. Yes. And what is God saying? Today, I plan for you for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. So, what is God's plan? Ah, many of you stop reading the next verses. So, I want us to read the next verse. Everybody, please read. Then, everybody? Then. Purpose closed. Then. Everybody read. You will call upon me and come and pray to me. In other words, when God allows trials, when God allows calamity, look at me now. It is to get your attention, to turn to him. Now you begin to see why God allows certain disappointments. So that you will turn to him. You will call upon him. Continue reading. You will seek me. And the promise, you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. You know, I have discovered it is not my job to change people. But sooner or later, because God loves you, he brings you to a point of desperation. Many of us have not reached that point yet. In my life, I've reached a point of desperation where I really surrendered everything. I have many pastors like Glenn, with Pastor Ricky. If you look at their lives, they've all been broken. You reach a point of total surrender. You say, Lord, no longer what I want. I surrender. The whole purpose of God allowing problems in your life is so that you will learn to seek Him. The greatest good is not the temporal things of this world. The greatest good is finding God. And when you find God in a foreign land, in Babylon, God is saying that is the best for you. Do you, do you agree? You can have everything in this life. Without God, you have nothing. You can have all the houses, all the money. Without God, you have nothing. When you die, that's it. You can have nothing. But if you have God, you have everything. Now, let me ask you, which is more precious? God or something else? God. So I want you to learn to process what does it mean to practice living what? A God-centered perspective. 
God is involved. My friend, God warns us in this coming election, do not trust in princes, in mortal men in whom there is no salvation. Do not ever imagine that a particular candidate will save our country. I pray. I pray for candidates. So what's my job? My job, because God is sovereign, I must do my part. Can I tell you what's your part? Listen to me now. Tomorrow, I want all of you to vote. You know why? Because that is God's way of telling us you do your part. So how do you vote tomorrow? How many of you are familiar with CVM? Raise your hand. CVM. You have heard of CVM. Raise your hand. CVM is a Christian value movement. We teach people how to choose their candidate. And here is from the Bible. Tomorrow, I want you to vote for the following. Let's read that verse. Everybody read. You shall select. You shall vote. You shall choose. Out of all the candidates, able men. Okay? Able men. You need to do your homework. Nobody will do it for you. We can help you. We, we came up to help you, but you got to do your assignment. Select out of all the people, able men who fear God. Everybody read. God-fearing men of truth. Honest people. Is that how you choose candidate? Or do you choose candidate who will tell lies, who makes promises but will never do it? I'm teaching you how to vote. Men of truth. Those who hate dishonest gain. Why will you choose for candidates who are corrupt? Just because what? They are your friend? Just because they are close to you? Our job as Christians is to learn how to vote. You shall place this over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties. In short, Chris CVM is teaching people how to vote wisely, honest, competent, God-fearing, the right biblical values. The truth is, can you find somebody like that? Well, that's why I'm always asking people to join this movement. This movement will not end tomorrow. Because this movement is a discipleship movement. We want to attract and mobilize young people to be part of this movement so that one day, listen to me, one day, this movement will have at least 10 million members. And once you have these 10 million members who will learn to vote, it will impact the country. Yes or no? In the meantime, we do our part. So what's our part? You pray, you vote. What does it mean to live a God-centered life? A God-centered life is very simple. A God-centered perspective means you rest in His plan. You not only realize He's in control, but you got to rest. Many of us believe God is in control, but we are not rested. You're always anxious. Now, be honest with me, okay? I want you to do something today. When you go home, when you go home, you ask your family members. You ask them to evaluate you. You ask them, do I live my life rested? Do I believe in God's sovereignty? Are you rested or are you always anxious? Are you always nervous? 
Are you always fearful? Do you know there are many people today who live in fear? Up to now, they're afraid of COVID. Up to now. Do you realize the church will never be the same? Because some will be afraid to gather. Now, you ask me, Peter, am I afraid? Ask me. What do you think is my answer? No. You know why? Because my life and destiny is in God's hand. But I do my part. You know, I'm not crazy. Okay? I will not pur purposely say, okay, my COVID God, kiss me, kiss me. <laughs> I will not do that. However, should I get COVID? By the way, my family members, they are all graduate of the University of COVID. <laughs> and you know what surprised me? They're all healthy, they're all strong. Hallelujah! Now, what about you? Are you living in fear? You keep singing, I trust in God, I believe in God. On Sunday, you come, you clap. But when you go home, you live in fear. You are anxious. You have no peace. You have no joy. Something is wrong. That's why you need to practice. Okay, practice what? A God-centered perspective. Now, let's find out. What does it mean to rest? You know, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us, commands us. Everybody read together. Rest. It's a command. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently. Rest. Wait. When what you want to happen doesn't happen, rest. Wait patiently. Do not fret. What is fret? You fret. Some of us are always fretting. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Don't be nervous. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Sometimes you're jealous of people who don't know God. They seem to be, okay, don't fret, don't be jealous. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Relax. Can you tell, turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, relax. Be rested. Can I tell you something? The sovereignty of God, listen to me now, if you ask me, is one of the most precious truths. It comforts me. Because in the worst of situations, I can honestly believe God allowed it. God's purpose will be accomplished in my life. I find comfort that God is in control and not me. So the sovereignty of God will give me rest when bad things will happen to me. What about you? Do you believe God is in control of your life? Yes or no? So what do you do when what happened to you or what's happening to you is not what you like? Everybody, rest. Are you able to honestly say, Lord, I thank you? I thank you. You know, in Romans 13, the Bible tells us, okay, what if the wrong candidate in your mind, okay, I, I respect you, in your mind, the wrong candidate will win. And the right candidate did not win. Now, remember, Repeat after me. God is God, and you are not God. You really believe you are not God? I'm so glad you are not God. Can you imagine if you are God? We are in deep trouble. Now, look at this verse. Together, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Every person, no exception. There 
is no authority except from God. And that which exists are established by God. All authority. While Romans 13 talks about government authority, but the overall context, if you read Titus, if you read 1 Peter, we are to submit. And the word submit to the governing authorities, be in subjection, is something not popular today. Remember, you are influenced by the values of the world. And the world is saying, I don't submit, submit. I remember a lady that my wife was counseling in the marriage seminar. She showed my wife, Mrs. Tanji, remember you are teaching wives submit your husband? Oh, look at my Bible. She showed the Bible to my wife. You know what she did? She erased the verse. <laughs> Completely erased. What has she, what is she doing? She's making herself to be above God. I don't like this verse. And because I don't like this verse, I'm not going to follow it. My friend, I like A.W. Tozer, a true Christian who is not obedient to the Word of God can never claim to be a true Christian. A powerful statement. It is inconceivable to say you are a true Christian, but you refuse to obey the Bible. It just does not fit. You can give all kinds of excuses. But what I'm learning is very simple. God tells us He's in control, and so what's our part? We must respect, be in subjection to the governing authorities in your life. And that may mean your husband, that may mean your parents, that may mean your teacher. I praise God in this country we are given the freedom to vote. We are given the freedom to elect. So let us capitalize on that amazing freedom. But after the result, you must learn to submit. Look at the next verse. Therefore, together now, together. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, the Bible is very clear. The only time I will not obey governing authorities is when they command me to go against the Word of God. Any command that goes against the Word of God is very clear. You don't have to obey. However, if I look at the reality, husbands, wives, parents, children, most of the time, their command to us is not against the Bible. We just don't like it. So my advice is this. What must you do? Rest. What does it mean to rest? Well, you pray. That's why after this election, you must continue praying. Everybody, what's our part? Together. First of all, I urge entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. We are to pray for kings who are in authority so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So my advice, when you are rested, you do your part and you pray. So always be prayerful, all right? Now, what happens if bad things will happen to you? Well, let's look at the meaning of you must live a God-centered perspective. When bad things happen to us, what must we do? Let's look at James. 
Everybody together. Consider it all joy. My brethren, referring to Christians, when you encounter various trials. How many of you have trials today? You're encountering difficulties in your life. If you don't mind, raise your hand. Okay, we want to pray for you. Well, the Bible says, when you encounter various trials, what must you do? Everybody, consider it joy. How can that be? How can that be? I'm not crazy, but can I tell you, this is true. My wife has a gift of gratitude, a gift of faith. Every time we have problems, my wife will tell me, honey, I am excited. I said, what do you mean you're excited? I am excited to see what God is going to do. So that's our attitude in life. When there are problems, we're excited to see what God will do. I don't try to control everything. I release it to God. I do my part. After I do my part, I say, Lord, let's see what you're going to do. And God is always on time, but never early. You know, God does not move immediately. That's my experience. That's why he says, wait. Rest and wait. Now, which is easier, rest or waiting? Answer? <laughs> Both are not exactly easy. Rest and wait. Some of us don't know how to rest. Let's continue reading. Knowing that the testing of your faith. Ah, my faith is being tested. My friend, how will you know your faith is genuine or not? How? When you are tested. God does not test you when everything is going well. You are tested when things are not going well. Because God has a purpose. You must rest in God's plan for your life. So why is God allowing problems? To develop your character. Let's read. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. You may be complete, lacking in nothing. Now, many of us stop here. And that's why I like to teach you how to read the Bible. Don't stop reading up to verse 3. You go to verse 4. What is verse 4 saying? Well, your faith is being tested so that your character will grow. Don't stop in verse 4. You go to verse 5. Let's read verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, because you don't know why God is giving you problem, you don't fully understand, God is saying, you pray. Let him ask God, who gives to all gener generously without reproach, and it will be given him. So honestly, there are times I don't understand. I say, Lord, I don't understand why. I don't understand why you allow this problem. I'm honest with him. There are times I cry. I cry to the Lord. I say, Lord, I don't understand. But I trust you. You see, are you able to rest in the Lord? I want you to hear a testimony of a couple that is very faithful in serving the Lord. Let's listen to Dr. Ron Fermin. He's a leader in CCF San Francisco. 
Grace and peace be to all of you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And warm greetings from all of us here at CCF San Francisco. My wife and I met in dental school in Manila. In 1990, I began to serve the Lord here in California while newlyweds at that time. We also had a newly built small dental practice in the South San Francisco area. Everything was smooth, everything was great and problem free until one day, our lives suddenly turned upside down when in 1992, our son Matthew was born with severe complications. I had a healthy pregnancy with Matthew and he was a healthy and normal baby in my womb. However, during labor and delivery, something catastrophic had happened. The attending physician waited many hours to deliver our baby boy, and it was only after six long hours of labor and upon the advice of another doctor that she finally decided to do an emergency C-section. By then, it was too late, and Matthew's brain was oxygen-deprived for too long. In order to save his life, doctors tried heroic measures by using an ECMO heart and lung bypass machine. But sadly, while on that heart and lung, bypass, he developed a large bleeding in his brain. There was a time at the hospital when the doctor even set me aside and said these words, your baby, if ever he survived, would be severely brain damaged. And in situations like this, something can be done. It just depends on the religious beliefs of the parents. I was taken aback by the doctor's words because she wanted to pull the plug on Matthew. But I told her this, doctor, please, do everything medically possible, because whatever the outcome, we will love Matthew and accept him just the same. The resulting complications that happened one after the other cost him a lifetime of disabilities and medical interventions and surgeries. But the Lord was so good because through the passage of time, he healed Matthew of his failure to thrive, his seizure disorders, his extreme numerous daily vomiting episodes, which lasted for almost two years, his inability to eat by mouth, and he was weaned off his feeding tube. He did not turn out blind or deaf or mute as the doctors had predicted. Through it all, the Lord provided, and he also worked in our hurting hearts with our son's lifelong disabilities of being a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. When Matthew was fighting for his dear life, the Lord impressed in my heart these thoughts. Alice, will you continue to love me even if I take Matthew? It was then that I fully surrendered and said, Yes, Lord, I will continue to love you no matter what happens to our beloved son. At that time, when all these things were happening, we didn't know that the Lord was already calling us to serve him in a greater capacity. In 1993, with a few families and friends, a sister church of CCF, Maine was born here in the San Francisco area. And we continued to work for our Lord with my wife as my helpmate in raising Matthew, caring for our family, working in our dental office, and serving God in the church here. Recently, just last September, our son Matthew had an excruciating bout of kidney stone it may be an ordinary, simple case for others to think, but imagine if you're unable to communicate where the pain is coming from or at what level the pain is or to effectively point to where you're hurting, that's our son. 
with limited vocabulary, labored speech, and limited motor skills to use just one hand, this is complicated. Then in January, our whole family got stricken with COVID. With Matthew's already medically compromised situation and my wife and I having pre-existing medical conditions, our faith was tested. But God worked in our hearts and prayerfully and thankfully, the Lord healed us and we were able to return to work and ministry. Then February came and on Valentine's Day, I suffered third degree burn on my left hand during a pastoral visit while cooking for my wife and another couple. It's been only a few weeks then since we were incapacitated to work. And now this injury again? But while those times that we were unable to work, God was working in our hearts, strengthening our faith. Then just four days after Ron's injury, Matthew's BP shunt, or the tubing that drains cerebrospinal fluid from his brain to his abdomen, malfunctioned, and he almost lost his life. He spent a total of 11 days at the hospital, three major surgeries, and half of that time in the intensive care unit. CCF members and friends all throughout the world prayed for Matthew's healing and recovery. We want to tell you all how much we appreciate your prayers and love during those difficult times. Again, the Lord healed and provided again. It seems like we were struck and pressed hard on every side. We couldn't believe all the bad things happening one after the other. And we knew that there's a spiritual component in this and the enemy was just trying to discourage us and, and stop us from doing the Lord's work here. We prayed and we continued to have faith and surrendered everything in our loving and merciful God. Through it all, God provided the way out and the solutions. We may be pressed, but we're not crushed. We were still standing by the grace of God. All the battles we face as mere human beings and as workers and soldiers for Christ had helped us to have an attitude of gratitude, whatever the circumstance, to be grateful for the grace and provisions God provided along the way. We are thankful for the life lessons on courage, compassion, resiliency, braveness, flexibility, forgiveness, and love, which the Lord taught us through these life experiences. We gracefully embrace God's calling to serve Him, even in our limited capacity. My name is Alice Furman. And my name is Ron Furman. And, and we, we are, are your co-workers, co-workers of Christ, Christ here in San Francisco and San, San Jose, California. California. To, to God, God be all the glory. How can a couple like that go through a lot of difficulties, still loving God, still serving Him? Ron and Alice has practiced a God-centered perspective. Let's pray for them. Lord, I want to pray for Ron and Alice, their family, their ministry, and his son, Matthew. Lord, I know you love this couple. They've gone through a lot. And thank you for their attitude of gratitude, the joy, the thanksgiving. It can only come from you. So I pray you continue to use them, bless them, and shower them with more blessings that only eternity can tell. So I commit to you, CCF San Francisco, 
and all the outreaches connected with it. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. The last point I'd like you to remember is simply this. To practice a God-centered perspective, okay? If you practice God-centered perspective, you must recognize, number one, God is sovereign. What's number two? Rest. And what's number three? Represent Him. You are to represent Him to the world. Because after this election is over, life will continue. So what do we, I mean by represent Him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read this together. Therefore, everybody, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you in behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You may not realize this, but in the Bible, you are given the most amazing privilege, ambassadors for Christ. Do you know an ambassador has the highest position in a foreign country representing another country? You are an ambassador. Can you turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, you are the ambassador of Christ? Now, under, during the time of Paul, when he was writing, there are two kinds of ambassadors. One kind is sent by the Senate to a state that is peaceful. It's a Senate, the ambassador representing the country through the Senate. Another one is the ambassador directly reporting to the emperor. It is legatus. Okay, the idea is this. This ambassador reports directly to the emperor because it is sent to a country that is originally hostile. There are military movements, and the ambassador is there to offer the country the term of surrender, and that they will be accepted as a Roman state. Paul is using this term, the ambassador, representing the king of kings, and God is telling us, you live in a country where people don't know me. You need to ask them. We are ambassadors for Christ. Notice, representing Christ, as though God were making an appeal. See, God so loved this world, he's sending you, sending me to be his representative. An ambassador is the representative of the emperor, the representative of the country. One of our CCF members, who is very close to us, became an ambassador a couple of years ago. And he taught us the kind of training he went through. He said, Peter, would you believe it? They taught me. I don't represent myself. I don't represent my business. I represent the Philippines. I must only speak what the president wants me to say. I cannot represent myself. Therefore, I must behave properly. Now, this guy is a businessman. He loves to bargain. When he goes to a store, he will bargain. When the, when the manager said $100, you know how much he will bargain? $10. He said, Pastor, I can no longer do that. I can no longer bargain in this country. I said, why? I'm the ambassador. I need to represent the country properly. Well, I'm going to tell you now. You represent the kingdom of God. Let's represent God properly. What's our message? We beg you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. Our job is to tell people the important message of reconciliation. God is offering us a peace term that we can belong to Him. That is our primary objective. So what's my advice after the election? Well, today, I want you to realize, learn to vote wisely tomorrow. But after the election, this is some, I think this is shared in the social media. What I did, I just kind of summarize this, okay? So number one, ladies and gentlemen, as a Christian, everybody read, you represent Christ, not the politician. You are rooting for, if you behave badly, it will not reflect on the politician. It will reflect on Christ. So may I remind you, you don't represent your politician. You represent who? Christ. Number two, no matter who your candidate is, remember, they are not perfect. So do not treat them like gods or goddesses that can do no wrong. Number three, elections are temporary. Do not do something permanent like destroying your relationship with other people, especially with fellow believers in Christ. I've known people because they vote differently, they quarrel with their family, they don't talk to each other anymore, even after election. They cancel them. Please don't do that. Next, make sure your passion for your candidate does not exceed your passion for Christ. I know many of us are passionate, but can I tell you something? Make sure your passion for Christ is greater than your passion for your candidate. You know why? You owe your life and loyalty to Jesus, not to a particular candidate. Do everything with love as your motive. And lastly, may I suggest, remember your primary mission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our primary mission as ambassador. You know, just this week, my son was telling me a story, and I reflected on his story to my own experience. I've seen the power of the gospel. I know somebody who came from a very dysfunctional family. He was into drugs. He was into alcohol, smoking, gang violence, womanizing. This guy was a basket case. But the most amazing thing happened. He heard the gospel. He heard the good news that God wants to reconcile, but he has to do his part. He has to repent. Can I tell you something? This friend of mine today, you won't believe his life. Smoking, he gave it up. Drinking, he gave it up. Drugs, he gave it up. Womanizing. When I say womanizing, I don't mean one, two, three. I mean a lot. It's a basket case, a hopeless case. He was transformed. Therefore, I realized the greatest thing I can do for people is to share the gospel of Jesus. Because only Jesus can transform lives. And many of us get so busy, so passionate with many other things 
But we forget the primary mission that we have, ambassador of Jesus and share the gospel. My friend, what is the gospel? The gospel is very simple. If you read the last verse of 2 Corinthians, what is the gospel? He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the message that God made Jesus, who is without sin, to be our sin better. And then what happened? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you understand the gospel, the, sub, the principle of substitution? I am a sinner. Christ took my sin. I am a sinner. Christ gave me his righteousness. And that, my friend, is a gospel message. Do you realize everything you are longing for may not happen in this life, but you know it's going to happen in the life to come. You know the Bible tells us one day, one day, no more election. One day, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Jesus. Every, even those who pierce him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. So it is to be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. Jesus is coming. Do you know he's coming again? And everything you are longing for will happen. Every disappointment you may have will be transformed. In the meantime, what's your job? Ambassador for Jesus. Have that passion. Let's bow our heads and pray. Perhaps some of you have never experienced what God offers us to be reconciled. To be reconciled to him means you need to surrender your life. Many of us have not surrendered our lives. You are in rebellion. We have not surrendered to who God is, King of kings. If God is speaking to you right now, if God is telling you, have you been reconciled to my son? Why don't you come to him right now? I want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I've been in rebellion. I've not been following you. Today I realize that you want me to surrender my life to you, to accept your term of forgiveness, to accept your term of justification, to accept your term of reconciliation. So, Lord Jesus, here I am. No precondition. I surrender my all. Come into my life. Be my righteousness. Be my Savior. Father God in heaven, I just thank you for everybody that we will not be the same person as we entered today. That we will practice a God-centered perspective. Knowing that in this election, whatever will happen, you are in control. Whatever will happen, we are to rest upon you. And above all, we must never forget our primary responsibility is to represent you, to bring honor, glory to your name. Help us not to fight with others who may disagree with our perspective, who may disagree with what we should be doing. Give us the humility to say, 
that only you know what's best. So we entrust to you everything. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.